What do you think you would pray for if you were in prison? To get out? For protection? For your physical needs? If you could send a letter, what would you write? Help me. Pray for me. Come visit me. Well, the Apostle Paul no doubt did those things. But even in prison, his prayer life was not self-centered. And in our text for today, we see Paul prayed regularly for others, even while a prisoner in Rome. And he tells us specifically what it was that he prayed for on their behalf. He prayed that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they would be strengthened by His power, and that they would joyously give thanks. I trust that would be his prayer for us as well. So let's take a look at Paul's prayer from prison and see if his prayer is being answered in our lives. He begins by praying that they know God's will. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul said that since the day they heard it, they had not ceased to pray for them. So what was it that he had heard? Was it something horrible had happened that drove them to prayer? Not at all. Now, As I mentioned last week, we will discern in this letter that there was a problem in Colossae. They had allowed Greek philosophy, Eastern mysticism, and Jewish legalism to infiltrate the faith. They were in need of some solid teaching, and that Paul would give them in this letter. But what prompted him to pray for them was the progress the gospel was making in their lives. He had heard that they were bearing fruit, and their impact on Colossae was increasing. He was pleased. He was excited. He prayed because of what he heard, good things happening. But now he prays for something more. He prays that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will. They had come to faith in Christ. They were loving each other. The Spirit was bearing fruit in their lives and in their ministry. Now they needed to go beyond the basics. They needed to be filled with the mind of God. They needed to understand His will in the specifics of life. They needed all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, the distinction between wisdom and understanding isn't universally agreed upon, so we won't be dogmatic here. But years ago, in an Abundant Living seminar that we hosted, we were taught that wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective, and understanding is knowing how to respond 
to life's situations with God's priorities. That, that wisdom is seeing how things fit together. What's important to God. And understanding is the application of that wisdom to life. And I, I think that's pretty good. The bottom line is he prayed that they and we would be able to respond to life as God would have us respond. That we would actually know what it is that Jesus would do and would have us do. And we can know God's will. We can know it. You know, Paul would not have prayed that the Colossians be filled with the knowledge of God's will if it was impossible to discern. God wants us to know his will. And he's revealed much of it in his word. So we begin there. If we would be filled with the knowledge of his will, we must be filled with his word. We must know the Bible. We must read the Bible. We must study the Bible. We must meditate upon God's Word. Nearly every Sunday, we close our service by singing, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But that's only true if we know what the Bible says. So we start there. We study God's will as revealed in His Word. But then, if we can't find specific direction for the decision we're called upon to make, we seek the counsel of godly friends. The writer of Proverbs told us that a man of understanding will acquire counsel. But the psalmist warned us not to seek the counsel of the wicked. So we seek the counsel of godly friends. And since Jesus told us that he is in our midst, when two or three are gathered together to make a decision, and that what we are seeking will be done for us by our Father in heaven, we can confidently seek God's will through the agreement of godly friends. So don't be afraid to seek godly counsel when trying to discern God's will. Then, look to the circumstances of life. Now, alone, they are not a good guide to discerning the will of God because not all circumstances are of God. But looking for open doors and opportunities that are in harmony with God's revealed will and with godly counsel can help confirm God's leading in some matters. And then, of course, pray for discernment. Pray that God will convict us of his will through a spirit that is in tune with his spirit. Listen for a still, small voice that comes from within. And then look for a sense of peace that comes when you you know a right decision has been made. If we honestly pray to know God's will, he will make sure we know it. He wants us to know his will. He's not hiding it from us. He simply wants us to walk by faith 
not by sight. That's why he doesn't send us a text message every morning telling us what to do. He wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. He wants us to trust him and to actively seek his will by entering into a personal relationship with him where we openly and freely bring things before him. He wants to walk with us through life. He wants us to pray and talk to him. We must never forget, however, that in spite of the fact that God's mind can be changed through prayer, the fundamental purpose of prayer is not to persuade God to do what we want. It's to discern what he wants and to get in tune with his will. And that's where Paul begins in his prayer for the Colossians. He prays that they be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, admittedly, at times, finding God's will can be difficult. But to be honest, finding God's will is the easier part. The hard part is doing it. So Paul continues praying that they walk worthy. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please Him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. To walk means to live. It's Paul's prayer that believers live lives worthy of the Lord. Now think about that for a moment. A life that is worthy of the Lord. A life that he would live. A life that honors his name. A life that reflects what he's done for us. What kind of life would that be? Well, Paul says it would be a life that pleases him in all respects. But how in the world can we live a life that pleases God in all respects? That's that's impossible if perfection is expected. But God doesn't demand sinless perfection from us in order to be pleased with us. He doesn't expect us to do what he knows we could never do. What he does expect, however, is that we are making progress. That we're bearing fruit and increasing in our knowledge of him. Parents are pleased when they see progress in a child, when they see a child growing and maturing. And God is pleased when he sees us bearing fruit in every good work. And yes, good works are the fruit we're expected to bear. Our relationship with God must be reflected in our behavior, in the good we do. And that's not to say that good deeds are what make us acceptable to God. We could never do enough good to cancel out the sin that separates us from a holy God. But once that sin has been forgiven through the blood of Christ, we do please God 
by the good works that we do. He wants to see his children doing good in the church, in their homes, in the workplace, in the community. And we please our Lord when we live lives filled with every good work. But the Christian life is more than just doing good. You know, non-believers can do good deeds. But their lives really are not pleasing to the Lord. Because in addition to doing good, we must be increasing in our knowledge of Him. We must be getting to know Him better. And we do that by intentionally spending time with Him. By contemplating His presence. Do you ever just slow down and walk around and think about God? Do you look out at the wonders of nature and and just marvel at what He's given? Do you look at people and see God's image in them? Do you contemplate God? Do you think about God? Do you commune with Him? Do you pray? Do you enter into a season of prayer? Do you have momentarily moments of prayer when something happens? When something good happens, does a thank you just come out? Do you commune with Him? Do you meditate on His Word? Do you... You think about it. Not just reading it so you can say, I finished it today or this year. You think about it. God wants us to know Him and know Him better and better. And that pleases Him when we do that. And, And the more time we spend with Him, just getting to know Him, the more we'll be like Him. And the more we'll be able to draw from the enabling power to do the things that please Him. And that is the key to really being able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, being strengthened by Him. And Paul continues, strengthening or strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Sometimes we feel so powerless to do that which is right. We need power to go beyond ourselves to, to do God's will. And he knows that. So he gives it to us if we'll ask for it. And Paul prays for it on their behalf. He prays for the Colossians to be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. Now, again, he wouldn't pray for it if God wouldn't give it. So we learn here that God will give us power according to his glorious might. And that certainly ought to be enough power to do anything he wants us to do. Power in accordance with the glorious might of an omnipotent, all-powerful God is promised to us. Don't say, I just can't do it. 
You can. His power is available to you. If you ask for it. He's willing to give it. If we just ask. You know, Jesus said we have not because we ask not. So ask. God's not going to turn down that request. He's not going to say, oh, well, sorry. I don't think I'm going to give you enough strength to do my will. That's ridiculous. His power is available. And it is sufficient to live lives in keeping with His will. It's available for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Through His power, we can endure every circumstance of life. That's what steadfastness means. We can hang in there. We can stand firm. No matter what. Life never gets too tough for us if we are relying on the power, God's power, to strengthen us. For as Paul said in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you believe that, do it. Don't cop out. The former president of Wheaton College used to tell his students, It's always too soon to quit. I like that. And that is the steadfastness that Christ can give if we'll ask for it. And he not only gives us power to deal with circumstances of life, he also gives us the power to deal with people. (laughs) And that's what the word translated patience signifies here. Patience With people. Through Him, we can be patient with all men. We can take whatever it is they give us. No one can make us lose it if we're being strengthened with all power that is in accordance with His glorious might. The same might that enabled our Lord to say from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do can be ours. If we ask for it. So we can not only know His will, but we can do it. Because He supplies the power to do it. It's a promise. In light of that, We can face life victoriously and joyously. Verses 12 through 14. His prayer continues, Joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, it's been said that gratitude is the soil from which joy springs. You'll never be happy if you're not grateful. 
If you think life owes you everything, you'll never be grateful when you get it. And you'll never find joy. Gratitude. Gratitude is the soul, the soil from which joy springs. And it's Paul's prayer that we live lives of joyous gratitude. And we certainly have reason to do so. Not only is it possible to live life above our circumstances, live lives that please our Father in all respects, but we have the assurance that through Christ we have been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. That's the capstone of the promise and the prayer here. That means that even if we fall short in our efforts to please Him, even if we forget to ask for His power when we need it, we are still qualified for the inheritance of the saints. Our inheritance comes through Christ and what He did for us, not through our success in good lives. Now, that doesn't mean our daily walk is of no concern. We express our thanks to the Father by the lives we live. But knowing that failure on our part does not disqualify us from our inheritance, keeps us from giving up, from getting discouraged. We've already been qualified. We've been delivered from darkness, from discouragement and defeat and condemnation. We've been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And He did it. Like an employer who pays for it all, He moved us. He transferred us into His kingdom at His expense. Through Him, our sins have been forgiven And we've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. Indeed, we have every reason to live victorious lives of joyous gratitude if we've been redeemed. And redemption is available to all who accept it. If you are not able to sing, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, I invite you to come forward this morning. Confess your need for redemption. And express your faith in the one who can deliver you from the domain of darkness. The one who can fill you with gratitude. That will motivate you to seek the Lord's will in all things. To walk in a manner worthy of Him and to ask for the strength to please Him in all respects. That was Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And that's my prayer for you. Let's stand and sing.